Welcome to the Metaphorist's Magazine podcast, your home for beautifully made speculative fiction. The magazine is edited by B. Morris Allen, and I'm your host, Matt Gomez. This month's story is This Is How We Stay Alive by L. Chan. L. Chan hails from Singapore. He spends most of his time wrangling a team of two dogs, Mr. Luca and Mr. Telly. His work has appeared in places like Clark's World, Translunar Traveler's Lounge, Podcastle, The Dark, and he was a finalist for the 2020 UG Foster Memorial Award. He tweets inordinately at lchanwrites and can be found on the web at lchanwrites.wordpress.com. That's lchanwrites.wordpress.com. Before we get into the story, I want to provide a brief update on our publication schedule. Since January 1st, 2016, we've published a new story every Friday without fail. The end of 2023, our eighth year, brought us to issue 96. For issues 97 to 100, we're doing something special by featuring authors whose work we've not only enjoyed in the past, but whose work we feel represents what we've tried to achieve with Metaphoresis. So in 2024, we'll publish just one story a month, gathered in quarterly print issues, with podcasts releasing the first Friday of each month. We're excited to bring back some of our favorite authors, and we're looking forward to another great year of stories here at Metaphoresis. Let's jump in. It was the 630th day after Jeff became a ghost, and things were not going well. Jeff had a routine, as did all the other ghosts. He made coffee, as he liked it, black and without sugar, but the liquid sloshed over the edge of the cup and spilled onto the floor below. Wisps of steam disappeared into the muggy morning air, and lazy sunlight glinted off the crystalline leaves of the plants the Preservation Society had left behind, throwing little rainbows onto the walls of the government flats they crept up. The mornings were when Pris's absence bit the hardest. Pris had always given Jeff some of the best years of his life, and then after the Preservation Society came and stole one hundredth of the world's population, they'd still had each other. They'd woken up, disembodied and confused, amidst the crystalline alien blossoms that had sprouted in their bed, ghosts in every sense of the word. Finding themselves prisoners, first, of their condition, as they learned to engage the world anew without flesh. Second, of the strange alien garden that now flourished in their bedroom. It anchored them to the world, tethering them to their home. They found their ghostly forms fading into incoherence the further they got from their garden. Leaving their home was near unbearable. They fumbled their way through their new existence, while the rest of the world came to terms with the ghosts and discovered how to live with them. Jeff and Pris had learned. They had adapted, discovered that ghosts could still interact with electrical devices. They had reconnected with the world, finding others like them. Of course, this had been before the government finally came in with their cleanup crews and their neat little pamphlets in four languages, telling ghosts about their new rights, few, their responsibilities, many, and a short catechism on prolonging their newfound existence, helpfully titled, This is How We Stay Alive. But now Pris was gone, her laptop silent where it had lain for years. Space was scarce in Singapore, and there was no room for flats solely occupied by ghosts. Eventually, hastily passed laws allowed the government to seize the flats by eminent domain for reallocation. So, Jeff was getting a new roommate.
This is how we stay alive. We acknowledge the Preservation Society has taken our bodies, and we will not get them back. How Ming sat amidst the ruins of someone else's life. He knew what to expect from a haunted apartment, what the ghosts were capable of. Ghosts were nearly impossible to perceive. They had almost no power to manipulate the physical medium, but anything electronic was fair game and they needed to be near one of those alien plants. In some jurisdictions, panic had set in the first morning after the Alien Preservation Society did their work. The populace had set upon the plants with firearms and tools, blows and bullets shattering the plants' crystalline stems and glass leaves. As the gardens died, the tinkling of the fragments produced an uncanny resonance, an unnatural timber that reminded people of screams. It was only later that the symbiosis between plant and ghost was elucidated and the lament set in. A triptych of portraits went up on a display cabinet, a nascent mirror of the ancestral shrine. Hao Ming had not yet brought a pot to burn joss for the dead, and the abduction of 1% of the world's population by the Preservation Society had robbed them even of the dignity of a physical farewell. There were no bodies to be burned or buried only the strange creeping of the alien plants. That and the ghosts. The government had allocated this flat to him with scant information about the previous occupants. The garden in the bedroom was intact, so the ghosts had not been evicted by violence. Not every garden had ghosts, although evidence suggested that gardens all started with them. Some ghosts, for reasons still not fully understood, just faded. Not for the first time. Hao Ming wondered if that was what had happened to his family. But Hao Ming was certain there was a ghost still in this flat. There was always a steaming cup of coffee under the coffee machine, the overflow spilling onto the counter and dripping onto the floor, dried coffee staining the tile in a creeping Rorschach pattern. Netflix would channel surf when he wasn't looking, and the lights would go on and off to match a stranger's circadian rhythm. Even after a week, Hao Ming had not spent much time in the bedroom. But now he wandered back in, where the flower patch sang as it slowly grew its crystalline leaves and petals. Years after the occupants had been taken, he could still make out the outlines on the bed where the plants had first taken root. The plants were the most obvious signs of the cataclysm that had befallen the world. The Preservation Society had executed the heist in a matter of hours, an alien force of such technological advancement that governments had still been puzzling over sensor data when the crisis struck and the society was gone again before the scale of the damage was known, leaving nothing but tears and a single message in their wake. Everybody had heard the message at least once in the chaotic days and weeks after the event. A data packet of strangely dense encoding, the artistry of which still puzzled scientists. For a few hours, the message had been broadcast on repeat across all channels, from old analog radio to air-gapped networks. On it, the Preservation Society said they would take, without permission, without forgiveness, a sample of every sentient species they came across, but would leave a gift to soften the parting. People remembered the message in fragments, like a half-lost dream. No one could say for certain what the aliens looked like or sounded like. Any impressions were vague and contradictory. The only thing the recipients agreed on was the message. The substance of it defied scientists. Stills only captured static. Analysis of the audio only output white noise. Whatever the Preservation Society was, 
Their values were vastly different from those of humankind. There was no pattern in the selected abductions. Rich and poor alike were taken, with no discernible pattern. The bed in his new home reminded Hao Ming of returning to his silent apartment the night the Preservation Society struck, looking at beds bearing strange silicaceous growths whose beauty could not outweigh the panic rising in his throat. The news had eventually said that the plants produced a sustained bioelectric field that allowed for the long-term existence of self-propagating signals of untold complexity. Commentators stripped the jargon from the science and added a little conspiratorial seasoning. The alien gardens were haunted by those that had been taken. It might have surprised the aliens to know that their gift of functional immortality was first greeted with fear, confusion, and, in short order, violence. Then the ghosts began to talk, haltingly at first, as they relearned how to interact with the world. Each ghost had their own journey back to the world of the living. Some never made it. Hao Ming's original home remained frustratingly silent, more like a tomb than a home. He had laid out funereal offerings to his family, hoping to lure them towards the material world. But doubt had set in and more than once he had fought to smash the plants sprouting from where his family had lain in slumber. Instead, he left, though the only opportunity for housing was another abandoned flat, another modern sepulcher. Hao Ming stood now over someone else's bed, again tempted to violence. Instead, he shifted over to the bedside table and placed the wedding portrait face down before leaving the room. This is how we stay alive. If we are not anchored, we will drift free. Panic was a physiological response, a flood of neurochemicals provoking changes in body chemistry. The muscles tightened, the breathing quickened, the stomach contracted. A ghost did not have the benefit of these. Only a disembodied feeling of doom as a stranger approached their garden with violence in his hands and murder in his eyes. This stranger turned away at the last minute, shifting Jeff's wedding photograph on the table. Even sighing in relief was a pleasure denied to ghosts, but Jeff felt tension ease all the same. He followed the new tenant to the living room and paused with him at the small memorial to the other man's family. A plaque at the bottom of each portrait marked out a year familiar to Jeff, at least he had one thing in common with his new roommate. It was not possible for Jeff to write his wedding picture, even if he felt his existence solidify the near he was to the garden. Once, he could have traced where he and Pris had lain on their last night from the outline of the leaves, in the curl of stems over the bedsheets. Now, the plants were rampant, with their strange hum, and that last physical reminder of Pris was gone. All he had was the memory of her and her quiet smile saying that she had to go first and that he could follow when the time was right. There was little he could have done to stop her as she stepped out of their flat, away from the nourishing field of the growing garden and into dissolution. They'd argued about it before, while watching the news about ghosts disappearing. They frequented forums populated by the recently disembodied, even held down some gig work doing speech-to-text transcription until those opportunities dried up. Three fates awaited the ghosts. The gardens could be, and had been, destroyed. They were hardy but not invulnerable. They did not burn well, but like all things made of glass, they shattered on impact. Not only did assailants report the plants screaming, 
but even faraway gardens keened and scintillated in distress when one of their own was murdered. There were no documented observations of what happened to ghosts during the violence, save that they did not survive it. Second, the gift of the gardens was not permanent. Like all living things, they needed nourishment. Laborious observation distinguished the gardens that thrived and those that withered along with their ghosts. Governments, organizations, and religions all over the world had boiled the mysteries down into insipid catechisms like the one Jeff and Pris had gotten, because what fed the gardens was a ghost's attachment to the world. Stories abounded about ghosts who, despite proximity to their gardens, faded all the same, and their gardens withered not long after. A third way out was whispered about in internet forums frequented by ghosts. A ghost could just leave their garden. Nearby gardens could still sustain them, but eventually the ghosts would find the edge of the garden's succor, whether it be at their doorstep or miles from home. Beyond that lay disillusion. Speculation was rampant amongst the ghosts that escaping the gardens was not a death sentence. Pris had bought into these theories unequivocally, that the preservation society had left humanity the gardens, but the gift was only a stepping stone. Debates between Jeff and Pris grew heated, blossoming into shouting matches. Perhaps they would have fought, but ghosts could no more touch each other than they could the physical world. Words alone hadn't been enough to stop Pris, and his last memory of her was of her fading as she left the flat that imprisoned them, disappearing like motes of dust on a morning breeze. With Pris gone, Jeff struggled to maintain his connection to the garden, throwing himself into the banal rituals of daily life to cling unto existence. Grief, too, had a physiological component, and Jeff felt guilty that his own mourning lacked the tightening of his throat and the unbidden leakage of tears. Now, he found himself staring at the sleeping form of the intrusive tenant. It could not be perceived by the other man, but there were ways of making his presence felt, at least on anything electronic his tenant used. Some ghosts became malicious digital tricksters, getting into social media accounts, banks, and worse. They were impossible to evict and rendered their homes near uninhabitable. Jeff could have done any of those things to the interloper, but he didn't want to go down that route. Instead, he just left Pris's photograph on the man's computer, with the dates of her birth and death inscribed below, save that the latter was the date of her second death, the day she had walked out the door to the sound of the garden trilling in the background. Some days, Hao Ming couldn't even tell that his new home was haunted. There were terms of the shared rental, fixtures he couldn't move, rooms he couldn't change. He respected the ritual of morning coffee, even emptying and washing the cups after the coffee had grown cold. Industrial bleach returned the kitchen tiles to their previous insipid off-white. Hao Ming found the picture of one of the flat's previous occupants on his computer one morning. The date stuck out. The previous occupants were ghosts, but the date of passing was much more recent. Pricked by his conscience, Hao Ming slunk into the bedroom with the gait of a dog returning to the scene of a stolen treat or mangled cushion. He set the picture by the bedside upright again. The plants seemed to tinkle in appreciation. Hao Ming knew there were ways to reach out to the ghosts, but his family had never gained the facility to communicate through the electronic ether. To be fair, his mother couldn't even use WhatsApp when she was alive. His wife and son, on the other hand, had been digital natives. It made their silence all the more frustrating. 
Not so in his new flat. The ghosts here made their presence known with the constantly refreshing picture on his computer screen. The fittings in the flat were slowly in the process of being overwritten, a palimpsest of two lives overlapping. The bedroom was untouched. Hao Ming replaced the living room couch with a pullout and kept the study as his office. The date of the woman's passing was odd, past the date of the Preservation Society's visit. He remembered the verdant garden on the queen bed. Somehow the wife had died later. Hao Ming's hands hovered over the keyboard, and then he reached out to the ghost. Your wife, how did she go? Did she fade? No, she left. Ghosts can't leave their gardens. That's right. She believed the gardens were just a stepping stone. What do you believe? I'm still here, aren't I? What happened to your family? I don't know. They never reached out to me. They could be there. They could be gone. But you left? Yes, I did. Then we have something in common, Hao Ming. The first leaf fell one stormy morning before Jeff had completed his daily ritual. The garden's leaves were arranged in Fibonacci spirals, their translucence shot through with veins that network into aperiodic motifs. When the leaf bounced off the bedsheet, it shattered into identically shaped shards. Jeff could not touch the shattered leaf, but when his finger approached the pieces, a residual charge almost made him tingle. The other leaves sighed. He'd read about the signs of a garden withering before. He'd just never thought it happened to him. The nearby garden seemed to know. They'd emit a low hum, undetectable to human ears, that discomforted pets and grated on ghosts like fingers on chalkboards, crying in anticipation of death. Chris's research had grown increasingly esoteric before she left. She had said the gardens were only the first step in the gift the Preservation Society had left behind, that the instructions were in the message. It sparked another row between them, Pris insisting that the single most consumed piece of media in the world had layers that the best scientists and worst conspiracy theorists had not yet deciphered. Everybody in the world has heard the message, he'd said to her. Only the message they've chosen to hear, she answered. How long was the message for you, Hao Ming? Two minutes and 54 seconds. Mine was three minutes and 15. Did Pris ever ask you about the difference? She would have said I was not ready. What does it say? The rest of the message? That the gardens weren't the true gift. That we have to take the first step. No ghost has ever come back from leaving a garden. Pris once told me that the largest living organism on earth wasn't a whale or a tree. It was a fungus growing under a forest. A massive network of mycelial cells, big as a city. Like the... Each garden knows what's happening to the other gardens. All other gardens. Not just here. Everywhere. Even the ones back in my home? Even those. The garden is still there, isn't it? There's a chance that your family is there. They were quiet for years, Jeff. Maybe your home has the same thing Pris was looking for beyond the gardens what the Preservation Society left in their message. 
What's that? Faith. This is how we stay alive. We never leave our gardens. How Ming had left in the morning at Jeff's insistence. He had a family to get back to, if they were still there. Jeff's assurances didn't help. He couldn't have explained how he knew people he'd never seen before were still waiting next to their garden, or how their garden had told him this. The refractions in his bedroom were particularly vibrant that morning, as though his own garden already knew. Broken rainbows danced on the walls and followed him into the living room. Hao Ming had left the front door open. Jeff wanted to see, and the sunlight beyond the threshold looked very bright indeed. There was no way of knowing what lay beyond the sanctuaries of the gardens. In the first half of the message, the world had come away with the knowledge of the Preservation Society's gift, that the gardens gave life beyond flesh. But the second half, the part that only the few heard and even fewer acted on, that part was a reason. A reason and a promise. The Preservation Society did just that. They preserved. The first precious few became ghosts, and even fewer of the ghosts could take a step beyond. Perhaps the message was more than a collection of data that bypassed comprehension. Pris had believed that the second part of the message was a test of faith. Jeff thought different. That perhaps the message itself was choosing those that were ready to hear it in its entirety those that were ready to take that step. Jeff felt the familiar tug of his garden, anchoring him to the only existence he'd known for years. The nearer he got to the threshold, the more he felt himself stretching out, pulled taut like a sheet nailed down to his garden. It was an old fear, that the garden was the only thing keeping him alive. Not this time, only the promise of something more. So he went forward, and out, and took the first step into the rest of his life. That was This Is How We Stay Alive by L. Chan. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to us on. Or better yet, share the magazine and podcast with a friend. If you'd like to listen to more speculative fiction, visit us online at magazine.metaphoricist.com, on blue sky at metaphoricist.bsky.social, or on Mastodon at metaphoricist at writing.exchange. <laughs>